0: Good morning, everyone. For those who don't know me, my name is Shelley and I'm one of the pastors here at Connect. And I have the great privilege this morning of bringing the next message in our Behind the Curtain series. Now, often when we think of behind-the-curtain activity, we think of the secrets or the sins that we harbor in our lives that need to be brought into the light. But there are also things that need to be we need to be doing behind the curtain that others won't see. But the doing of these things, the cultivating of these habits and the practice of these rhythms will have a profound impact on who we are in the public spaces of our lives. The the behind-the-curtain space is that space of our private worlds, the place that most others actually don't get to see. It's the real and messy spaces of our lives where there's no pretense. And what we do and who we are in these spaces, it reflects in the public arena of our life as well. What happens behind the curtain facilitates and empowers what takes place in the public arena. And when we neglect matters of the soul and don't pay attention to this part of our lives, then we're going to be vulnerable to attacks from the enemy of our soul, and our worlds can break apart. But when we do pay attention to matters of the soul, and we build health into these areas of our life, into these spaces, then the fruit of that is going to be seen in the public arena. And I like the imagery of our soul as a bucket. And there are always forces at work that can break holes in that bucket and drain the life from it. I'm sure you've experienced these forces from the outside, like the brokenness of our culture, or the temptations and vices and the frenetic pace of life. Then we've experienced those forces from within that cause our buckets to leak. The wounded spaces within us, the insecurities we carry, and yes, the secret sins that we harbor. And we've been speaking very honestly about these these last few weeks in the series. But today I want to focus on the positive and proactive steps that we can take to build health and strength, and resilience in our inner being. I want to focus on those rhythms that we can embrace in our life, those regular and repeated patterns that keep our bucket filled with his life-giving water. Now, there's so many things that we could speak about at this time, and I do want to honor time, so I'm just going to choose eight, and there will be a quick eight, don't worry about that. I'm a visual learner, and so I like to have, you know, creative lists or mind maps to help me to to remember things. And so today I'm going to be using the eight limbs of an octopus to help you remember those eight points. are many of you, I think, are delighted I'm not using a spider to help you with that. Now, these eight rhythms, they, they're ones I'm going to share because they're ones that personally have had the most impact in my life. They've been the most helpful and challenging for me in sorting out my own soul health. And I've not got all of them waxed. There are many areas here that I need to grow in and I need to mature in. But I do know that when I have neglected these, that has been when I've been at my most spiritually dry. And so I trust that these behind-the-curtain rhythms will encourage you and inspire you in your own journey of faith that you are walking, so that you can experience the abundant life that is ours in Jesus Christ. First of all, the first one is to live your life for the audience of one. There's two scriptures I want to share with you here. Mark 12, 29 to 30 says the most important commandment onto Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And then Galatians 1 verse 10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? Because if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now right to the very front cover of my Bible, I've written in black pen I want to live my life for the audience of one. Now, I wrote that there probably at least 25 years ago. Um, It's looking really faded at the moment, but it's still there. And what it has meant to me is that God's plans and God's purposes over my life are paramount. And it's a very important reminder for me that the opinion that needs to matter the most to me, the person that I need to please first and foremost, is the Lord. It's not my family or friends or colleagues or my community. Does that mean that I don't care what anyone else thinks? No, it's not that. But it has been a very good lens for me to check my motivations and what is driving my behavior. Am I doing what I'm doing because I'm looking for identity in my performance or my achievements or to satisfy my own selfish ambition? Am I doing what I'm doing To please people and because I'm driven by what they think about me? Or am I doing what I'm doing because I need people's praise or I fear their rejection? God has called each of us to a life that looks uniquely different from those around us, from everyone else's life. And I can be tempted to compare myself to others and to find my worth and my value and my identity in what others think if I live my life for anything but the audience of one. But when I'm living my life for the audience of one, then I'm living from a place of being grounded in my identity in Christ. I am living knowing that I am loved by Almighty God, and my identity is shaped by what He says about me and to me, not by what the world is saying to me. And I don't have the pressure to prove myself to anyone if I'm living concerned about his eyes on me, not human eyes. Living for the audience of one is the only healthy path for the soul because the Lord is the one who sees everything that we do. Who we are when we are all alone is the one that the Lord sees. There is nothing that is hidden from him. My behind the curtain self is the self that is seen by him. And a healthy starts with living a life to please the Lord behind and in front of the curtain of our lives. Number two. Number one, live your life for the audience of one. Number two, acknowledge your potential for evil. Romans seven, verse 21 forward says, I have discovered this truth. Evil is present with me, even when I want to do. What God's standards say is good. I take pleasure in God's standards in my inner being. However, I see a different standard at work throughout my body. It is at war with the standards my mind sets and tries to take me captive to sin standards which still exist throughout my body. What a miserable person I am. Who will rescue me from my dying body? I thank God that our Lord Jesus Christ rescues me. It's a beautiful truth that we are sinners who are saved by grace and are being transformed into his likeness. But until we see him face to face, we are not there yet and still a work in progress. And we are not immune to making bad decisions or acting in ways that are contrary to our calling as followers of Jesus. And good Christian folk can make tragic mistakes that shatter their world. And they're more likely to do this when they believe the myth, it can't happen to me. We need to acknowledge our potential for evil and have a clearer understanding of our own weaknesses, our own capabilities, so that we can be ready for the very real spiritual battle that lies ahead for our souls. And I'm not suggesting that you should live defeated, overwhelmed by your shortcomings. It's completely the opposite. In understanding and acknowledging our potential, as Paul's words here, evil is present with me even when I want to do what God's standard says is good. When we acknowledge that potential, then we are ready for battle. Because we know that we cannot handle everything in our own strength. We know we cannot handle everything that comes our way. We are nothing without Christ. We know that we are completely dependent on him daily for his strength and for his grace. We know that daily we need to be filled with his spirit. And in the words of that old hymn, I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee. Acknowledging your potential for evil will keep you humble and it will keep you walking very closely to your savior. Now we don't often guard ourselves in the areas where we feel safe and we feel strong. And many years ago, I read Gordon MacDonald's book, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And one of the many pearls that I gleaned from it was this quote. An unguarded strength and an unprepared heart are double weaknesses. And he was commenting on the fact that we as people, we tend to lose our major personal battles, not at the point of our weaknesses, but strangely enough, at the points of our perceived strengths. Because when we perceive ourselves to be strongest, that's where we're least likely to be prepared for battle. An unguarded strength and an unprepared heart is a double weakness. And Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 10.12. He says, so if you think you are strong, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Going back to that old hymn, I need thee every hour stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Acknowledge your potential for evil. Then thirdly, do regular spiritual self-examinations. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I have found that the healthy rhythm of doing regular spiritual self-examinations means that I'm always keeping short accounts with God. Because to live out the scripture means that when and where God convicts us, we need to respond in confession and repentance. It is living a repentant lifestyle. And the practice of this self-examination is not us reviewing our life and marking our own sheet. The Holy Spirit's role in this is so critical because we are always going to deceive ourselves. If we had to mark our own sheet, it would be like, pretty good there. Tid of improvement here. Perhaps not so great there. That's why David calls out to the Lord to search him. He says, search me, O God. Because God is all-knowing. God is full of perfect wisdom. God knows our hearts intimately, and he sees all things. He knows the things that we are carrying, the stresses, the anxieties, the real truth. And if you want a healthy soul, you need to regularly be opening up your life, all of that behind-the-curtain living, to his perusal. We are masters at deceiving ourselves and others, and so we cry. Search me, O God. See if there's any offensive way in me. And for most of us, there is. And so we need to acknowledge the truth of what God reveals to us. Repent of the offensive ways that he points out to us. And unless you name what is in you and you face it, you can't change anything. 1 John 1 verse 9 is that beautiful scripture that says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Naming our offenses is the first step in the path to forgiveness and healing. And in our prayer meeting before the service, Byron had a beautiful picture that he shared with us that I just felt tied in so beautifully with this point that I'm actually going to ask Byron to share it now with us.
1: So morning. So this morning, when we were praying, I sometimes I watch some odd things on YouTube, and uh, not like that. Um, but I was watching this engineering video last night, and uh, it was of a, it was quite a big machine. But it, it what it did, what it did, what it does is that it sands. Uh, it's like useful carpentry. So you've got a kitchen and you've got wooden cupboards. You'll know that to get your your kitchen doors perfectly smooth before you paint it, you've got to sand them down. And it can be quite hard work actually doing it manually. So this machine was quite massive, about half the size of this, or quarter the size of this room. Um, You could put these these kitchen doors into this machine, and it would come out the other end almost perfectly sanded. So it would go in not looking the best, come out the other side, and it would look really smooth. The interesting thing was, no matter how expensive this wonderful this machine was, there were still parts of the door that it couldn't get to. There were these little corners. Now, for those of you that have done sanding before on carpentry or cupboards or doors, you know that. It's so frustrating because it's normally the corners that you can't get to that take the longest time. But it's actually that part of the work that requires things to be done properly so that when you eventually paint, it looks good. And so, as you we were praying this morning, I just was reminded of that picture and I was, I've been so aware as Grant shared last week just how this service has done an incredible thing in people's lives where God has revealed things to people. And we've heard that. We've seen that. People have shared with us. Uh, and, and so this morning as we were praying, God said to me, you know, there are, there are some of us here where we've gone through that machine. And there are still these little areas that we need to actually get to. So even though everything looks good, we're not ready for painting yet. We need to actually get to those areas ourselves. And sometimes that requires a little tool to actually get into those crevices and clean them out. For those of us who haven't been through the machine yet, you go in looking one way and you come out the other end. You look very differently. You look much better. But don't ignore those little areas. So it was just an encouragement to you. I believe God has spoken to some of us about those areas we need to actually ask him to reveal to us because we haven't gone through the machine yet. And then there's some of us that have gone through the machine, but we just need God to help us to deal with those little tough spots that need cleaning out. So just an encouragement. Yeah.
0: So we're honestly able to say, search me, O oh God, every spot, even those hidden crevices and corners. I want to quote again Gordon MacDonald's words when he was describing this inner space within us. And he says, this inner space was meant to be the territory An inner temple or sanctuary in which God, our maker, would make his interior residence. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Here he would commune with us, give empowerment for us to reflect his image and his glory. Here would be the wellspring for thoughts and deeds, showing forth what the Bible calls holiness. Life after the character of God. But friends, evil will always seek to violate this Inner sanctuary, this inner temple. So do regular self, well not self, do regular spiritual self-examinations where we are asking God to search us and shine that spotlight up for us. Number four, position yourself as a person of prayer. Matthew 6, 5 to 8 says, and when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Most of Jesus' teaching on prayer was given in the plural, with this exception. And he's calling his disciples to a prayer discipline that is intimate, that is personal, and that is an essential part of who they were. When you pray, he says. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Hypocrisy has got to fly out the window. You're not doing this for men, but you're speaking directly to Almighty God. And your prayers then are not intended for the eyes and ears of the watching world around you and people around you. You are speaking to a Father who sees everything, who knows everything. He knows what you see. He knows what you need. And he sees it all. It is a beautiful invitation for us to speak honestly and transparently to our Father and to pour out our hearts to him. And our private prayers are critical for our maturing as followers of Jesus and growing our intimacy with the Lord. And it is this place of honest communing with our God, in this place that we find rest for our souls and the releasing of the burdens that we carry. In your private life, you need to be positioning yourself as a person of prayer. Colossians 4 says, devote yourself to prayer. being watchful and thankful. And then 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray continually. Position yourself as a person of prayer. And then number five, pay the price of regular spiritual disciplines. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, wouldn't it just be fabulous if we could just wish physical health and fitness into being? But we can't. We actually have to take action and do something about it. We have to start eating the right foods for health, exercising our bodies, strengthening our muscles, among other things, It requires action on our part. And it is the same thing with spiritual health. We can't just wish it into existence. We won't grow in our faith without action and intention on our part. We need to take steps and discipline ourselves in certain habits and practices. We need to pay the price of regular spiritual disciplines. Now these are those simple habits and practices that will really just help you to develop and grow and strengthen your faith Dallas Willard's definition of them is the disciplines which are activities of mind and body that are purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and our total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us. That is derived from the spiritual realm itself. Don't we all want to be operating from that space where we're living in a power that is strictly beyond us, derived from the spiritual realm itself, filled with the power of the Spirit? What are those spiritual disciplines that have nourished your soul? And I'm sure if I had to ask you to speak them out, there would be so many that you could share. I'm not going to give an exhaustive list here, But I'm sure if I had to ask you, at least what we would hear is you speaking about the transforming power of reading God's Word, of studying God's Word, of really grappling with it, meditating on it, memorizing it. Many here would speak about being transformed by prayer, as we mentioned before, or the discipline of fasting, or fellowshipping with others in the family of God, of corporate and private worship of spiritual retreats, the list goes on and continues. But we need to pay the price of regular spiritual disciplines. And we pay the price because it does cost us. It requires time. It requires effort. It requires attention on our part. But as that scripture says, we reap a rich benefit because godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Number six, find ways to cancel the noise around you. Now, this rhythm of canceling the noise around us and experiencing times of quiet and solitude is one of the rhythms that ministers deeply to my soul. And in the Bible, we read many God encounters that happened when people were alone in God's presence. And a scripture we speak about often is Psalm 46, verse 10, which says, Be still. And know that I am God. In Matthew 6 verse 31, it says, Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now Jesus did not just teach his disciples the importance of getting away from the noise to quiet places, but he lived this in his own life. At the beginning of his ministry, he went into the stillness of the wilderness for an extended period of prayer and of fasting. And after he hears about the death of John the Baptist, he gets into a boat, he goes off to a solitary place. On the back of a really busy time of ministry where he's been healing the sick and driving out demons, he gets up really early the next morning when it's still dark and he goes off to a solitary place to be alone with his father. Despite the desperate needs that were around him and the sounds of the world around him, he recognized the importance of solitude and quiet. Now, our world today is conditioned for noise. Silence and solitude are very, very rare commodities. But too much noise and too much activity can be toxic to our soul. And we have to find ways to cancel the noise around us In order to reflect, in order to be still, in order to think, to listen, to hear, to know, I am God. Now when Elijah encountered the Lord while hiding out in the mountains, it was not in the way that he might have expected. And the scripture makes a point of telling us where the Lord was not before revealing where he was. And it says in 1 Kings 19, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? We need to take deliberate action to cancel the noise around us so we can hear the gentle whisper of the Lord. What are you doing here? What do you need? And what might this look like in your life practically? I mean, there's so many practical suggestions that we can give here, but I I want to challenge you to think about your own life and what cancelling the noise could look like for you. I imagine it would have a lot to do with setting times and time limits for social media, and those brave enough enough among us have even just gone off that for this very reason. Um, But absolutely scheduling time away from, you know, any electronic device that could distract. I love this practical suggestion. It says here, parent your phone and put it to bed before you and make it sleep in. (laughs) And I think just the practical thing around it too has been so intentional around that. And, you know, it's the first thing we wake up to often is our phone with the alarm. But it's the very next thing we do to open up the news or open up our social media was the first thing we do in our day, time of quiet and invitation to the Lord as we start a new day. There's so many helpful steps, as I said, you can take if you get serious about creating quiet places for your mind and soul. But do know that any step towards cancelling the noise around you is going to bring you greater soul health and peace. Thinking closely to that, number seven is adopting a rhythm of regular rest. Now, this whole concept of of Sabbath rest, it's a motif that is found in both the Old and the New Testaments. And just reading from the Old Testament, from Exodus 20, it says these words, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son nor daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Now included in the observation of the Sabbath, God also commanded the Israelites to rest every seven years. And let the ground lie fallow then. And every 50 years they were to celebrate a year of jubilee where indebted slaves were freed, debts were forgiven, ancestral property was returned. And the Sabbath command for them would have been in such stark contrast to the life of slavery and the hectic pace of life that the Israelites would have lived like as slaves in Egypt. Such a stark contrast to that. The Sabbath rest for them was a reminder as God's people that their lives, their lands, everything belonged to God. And in slowing down and in stopping work, people were making sacred places in their lives, sacred space for the Lord God to be at work in their lives and an invitation to be very intentional in his presence. Now, Jesus, we see in the New Testament, he approached the Sabbath and freedom, noting that the Sabbath is created for people and not a system of oppression or rules. And the Sabbath rest that Christ practiced pervaded every part of his ministry and of his life. You know, in the kingdom of God, work and rest, they meant to be in harmony with one another and not seen as these two opposing forces. And we find a healthy balance in our work when we embrace the freedom that comes from God's rhythms of rest. Work is ordained by God, but rest is also required. And a healthy soul rhythm is to adopt a rhythm of regular rest. Periods where you stop. Where you stop working. Where you stop worrying. Where you stop wanting what you don't have. And you just stop. And adopting this rhythm of regular rest, it's adopting a way of being and not just observing a day or a time period. It's so much bigger than that. The Hebrew word Shabbat means to stop. But it also can be translated to delight. And it's got this dual idea of stopping, but also of delighting in God and in our lives in his world. Make space for regular rhythms of rest daily, weekly, regularly that will give you the opportunity to stop, to rest in him and to delight in him and your life in his world. And the very last one is number eight, to pursue community with other believers. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says we must also consider how to encourage each other to show love and to do good things. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing, but instead we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord is coming. We really do need each other. We need to be authentically experiencing biblical community and being in relationships one with another that are life-giving. Don't let your heart be hardened to people and think that you can exist just as an island. Christianity is not a solitary religion. We need the accountability of community for our soul's health. We need the wisdom of community to help us to see our blind spots and to sharpen us into more mature followers of Jesus. And we need the protection of community because we are in a constant spiritual war. We need community because we are only part of the body. We are not the whole body. We need to guard ourselves against isolating ourselves from other people. You might be blessed with friends from a whole lot of different spaces, and that's wonderful. But you do need to have some key personal friendships with those who share your faith and your values and can hold you accountable in those spaces. What a gift to be blessed with a mature and an honest friend who loves you enough to protect you from the possibility of a broken world experience by speaking truth and calling out things in your life, even when that is difficult and that is hard for them to do that. What a gift. Pursue community with other believers. And so I leave you with these eight healthy soul rhythms for behind the curtain living that I trust will be an encouragement for you as you seek to fill your soul with life-giving water. And I want to ask you as we close this service just to take a moment to think on these and what they might mean for your life and for your walk of faith. Which one of these rhythms has, have you perhaps been challenged about this morning? I'm not asking you to pick one of the eight that might just resonate with you and you think, oh, it's an easy one, I'll pick that one. Which one of these might God be really challenging you about this morning? About living out in your life? Living your life for the audience of one. Acknowledging your potential for evil. Doing regular spiritual self-examinations. Positioning yourself as a person of prayer. Paying the price of regular spiritual disciplines. Finding ways to cancel the noise around you. Adopting a rhythm of regular rest. Or pursuing community. With other believers. Let's just take a few moments of quiet for you to respond to what the Lord might be saying to you. And then I'd love to have the privilege of just praying over us and speaking a benediction over this body. Father, in our worship time, Earlier, we had the beautiful opportunity just to raise our voices in speaking our truth over who you are and the ways we experience you in our lives. And Lord, one of the names that was mentioned was El Roy, the God who sees me. And I want to thank you that we approach you as that this morning, the God who sees everything, the God of our behind the curtain part of our lives, as much as you're the God who's in our everyday living that everyone gets to see. And God, we so want you to be Lord of that space behind the curtain. And so we just pray that you would speak to us, meet us personally where we are at this morning. If there's ways that you are encouraging us to step into new healthy rhythms that are going to bring life to our soul and allow the spotlight of your love and your light and your truth to shine, then we pray for the grace, Lord, to surrender and submit to you. We don't want to leave here the same as we came in because we are always in need of your transforming power in our lives. So we say, speak to us, Lord, we are listening. And empower us as we move from this place to act on that which you speak to us about to move in the direction that you call us to move church family I want to pray this benediction over you as you go into this day today as families as you enjoy the rest of this Sunday together I pray that your day would be blessed by moments of quietness By light in your darkness. By strength in your weakness. By grace in your meekness. By joy in your gladness. By peace in your stillness. May your day further be blessed. Amen. Before we go out together, I know Mark had a word that he wanted to share with the church in the form of a prayer, and Byron looks like he is bursting at the seams with things to share with us. So I will hand over to these two elders to end for us.
1: Um, so Alex just had a sense that there were some people here this morning that maybe need some prayer for healing. And so we want to provide that platform for you if you are feeling like there is some healing that you'd love someone to pray for you for. Please do come forward at the end of the service. Some of us will be hanging around here, and we'd love to pray for you. So please, please do so.
2: And I just felt a burden during the service, especially hearing about our God being a God of peace, just to pray for Palestine quickly before we close. So can we just bring that before before the Lord? Father, we know how complex the situation is in Israel and Gaza. We see the terrible images on our TVs of what's happening there. We don't condone the atrocities that have been committed by either side. And we just feel so helpless as we watch the terrible things happening. And Lord, we just ask that you would bring peace. Lord, we pray for restraint. Lord, we pray for the mediators that are trying to bring the sides together to try and get some respite from the awful uh, death and destruction that is happening on a daily basis. And so, Lord, we just cry out to you that you would bring peace and bring some cessation of the terrible stuff happening in Palestine at the moment. Thank you, Lord, that we can leave this with you. Amen.